Hi, and welcome to the Arana Hills Church of Christ podcast. We hope this message brings you closer to knowing God, finding freedom in Him, and understanding what He has in store for you and your community. To learn more about Arana Hills Church of Christ, head to aranahills.church. We hope you enjoy this message. Wonderful introduction, AJ. I appreciate that. A great man. That's not what my wife says to me a lot, I can tell you. Just to bring it back down to earth. How are you? I haven't preached for a while, so I could be a bit rusty and it could be a little bit funny what comes out today. I've been on the road for about a month. I've been to Blackall. I've been to St. George. I've been to Toowoomba. I've been to Augathella. I've been to the Goalie. And I've been home. And I can tell you what, just to share with you about what's going on, I've lost my page already in this great state, um, I have never seen so much crop in the ground as I have this last couple of months. It's been, and as you know, the drought whole thing has been crippling. Boon aside, not so much, but all the way out to Blackall, people got weed in, they've got sorghum in, their cattle are fatter than me. It's an unbelievable vibe going on in the bush. And interestingly, on the back of that, the reason I'm out there is because people are forming churches. Uh, literally, I met with three farmers who have got 20 to 30 people meeting in, on, their, on their properties, people driving over 140 kilometres to come together. Uh, started with men, get your head around that for a minute, come into a barbecue and a beer, yeah, oh my goodness, and then open the scriptures. And it's translated to families. And this particular year we affiliated, which is a really cool story, um, St. George Church into our midst as Churches of Christ in Queensland. And that most of that all started just because the local guy with millions of hectares decided that God wanted to use it and invite his neighbours into his home. So I just wanted to share that story as a bit of excitement, what's going on in the bush. God's at work. And I still haven't found my page and I'm not going to distract myself by looking at it, so I'm just going to go for it. Is that all right? Oh, it gets dangerous when I walk away. Um, I've been in this running commentary. Let me lean into your theological lenses right straight up. Like, this is speed dating with Tim. Um, my wife and I have been discussing this for many years and we really much disagree on the book of Revelation. Want to read the whole book? We, her view, I don't think she'd be cranky if I mention it, her view is that there's a calendar of events that will take place and we've got to keep our eyes on things and then there'll be this thing called a rapture and then there'll be people gone. It's a valid view, I get it. And then after that, God will reign for a thousand years and the devil will be put in his place and all will be well, right? Now, I'm totally running through a very deep theological principle there, but you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I don't share that view. I reckon that the whole idea that Christians leaving the battle is a really bad idea. In fact, let me really upset you. If there is a rapture this afternoon, I'm grabbing a rock. Because I think there's actually work to be done. I actually think the book of Revelation has this message that we can get distracted from and it's all about being triumphant, overcoming. And if I understand anything of the context of where the first Christians lived and what they lived through, it's absolutely unbelievable. In fact, if we understand the word triumph at all, it literally means to overcome a great, in a great victory. Um, some of the new translations actually use the word triumph when they're... You know how Jesus talks to the seven churches, said, to him who overcomes, I will give a stone, a new name, a, a, a privileged status, and so on and so on. He keeps um, 
putting this message to the early Christians that if you actually stand firm in the midst of the things you can't control, then I will reward you. And from that precipice on comes the rest of a very strange book, which I won't try and defend right now. I'm happy to have a cup of tea with you after. But this cracking message of what it means to be an overcomer, the first thing to understand about the early Christians is they had no control over their operational environment. They had no control, just like we have no control. AJ mentioned today about, you know, we keep talking about this pandemic thing. I mean, how shocked are we that everything about our lives, I reckon every cafe in Queensland's got my barcode. If, 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 if there's ever an investigation, why, why is he in Orgothella? Why is he in the Gold Coast? Why is he on the Sunny Coast? Why is he at, why, why, this guy's almost omnipresent. Because I had no idea that my phone would be such an incredible device to track me, to find out what I spend. I mean, I had no idea at the start of this year when I stood outside Scott Morrison's office, literally the Prime Minister's office before a surf carnival, that the country would be shut and the federal government would pay for it and I would be able to sit at home and watch Netflix. What a strange year it's been. We've had no control over these things. At the start of the year, if you remember, there was bushfires. We were decanting people out of our Crow's Nest aged care service at midnight. Our chaplain was running around 48 hours a day, staff were running, we had no control over that at all. We've got absolutely zero control over what the next phase of our relationship with China is going to look like and the impact of our national economy. I think about these things. In fact, one of my staff rang me this week, with, uh, uh, went to a doctor's appointment, one of my close staff, feeling tired. Today, she's in hospital in the Wide Bay area with inoperable cancer today so I'm, I'm a little bit emotional about that because it's really real and we're all praying for us so if you can add sue to your list of prayers i'd really appreciate it from not being able to catch a breath to now we're talking weeks healthy woman we have absolutely zero control about what's going to happen tomorrow and yet at the same time context of the early christians context of our own lives context of my next step in tomorrow Jesus calls me not to be an egotistical, platform-stepping, trophy-hunting. He calls me to be an overcomer, to triumph in the midst of that chaos, right? This is the, the weird nature of reality. So no matter what those circumstances are, the stepping into that operational environment where things are unfolding outside of your control, who are you in the midst of it? always makes me laugh um you know the four lepers in two kings <laughs> do, you, do you reckon that's like greek comedy or what so there's four lepers you, you're familiar with the story the lands in a famine two kings chapter six if you want to have a little look later and it's all so funny it's ridiculously good and they're sitting with each other after there's been a siege at the city so there's a famine which means everything costs a bomb and there's nothing much around there's been a siege because everyone's desperate and they've got to take control and there's only four of them left. <laughs> so that tells me something about the nature of what's going on in their world. And they sit and talk to each other and they say, it is, it's men, so don't throw any gender politics at me, please. Four blokes in a, in a room together 
leprosy-filled outsiders to the whole of society. They go, what are we going to do? Option number one, go and talk to the Arminians, crack a deal, we'll probably die, but it's worth a look. <laughs> Option number two, we go into the city, we'll probably die because whoever's got control of it will kill us anyway. Option number three, let's just go into the city and see what happens. And they wander into the city in complete chaos, right? Everything about this scene is apocalyptic. And they discover that the Arameans have fled and they've left everything behind. <laughs> so what do you do if you're a leper, you've been in a famine, you've just lived after a siege, you hop in, right? The cupboards are full, rip in, gentlemen. This is the best feed we've ever had. And one of them says, oh, wait a minute, maybe God did this. Maybe we should share it. Maybe we should take a different posture here. Now, I'm, this is the Australian version of Second Kings, right? So if I'm there on a local farm and there's just been a siege and there's a revelation to me that says, I better be a bit generous here and I'm not the only benefactor of an act of God. And that's exactly what they do. They step into the unknown, which is what we've been doing all year together as Christian people, whatever circumstance in your home, in, in, in the organisation of your church family, we just keep stepping in. What, are we going to be able to meet this week? Are we going to do these ones or these ones or these ones? And I've been handshaking people today. Repent of that. I've been all over Queensland for six months. There's no COVID, I'm telling you. And if you don't shake hands in St George, they shoot you. Think I'm joking. <laughs> I think it's the most exciting thing to step into that unknown place. It is awkward. You've been doing it all year. But we have no control. And for some of us control freaks, that's really difficult. But the first step into that overcoming space is to actually accept your environment and move into it, right? Just like those lepers. One of my heroes of, of the year in our team, um, in our Melbourne services in aged care, uh, a friend of mine called Leanne, who's been a chaplain with us for about 12 years now, she was one of the original God Squatters, so John Smith's crew. She was in the original crew, so the first team ever, Leanne and her husband. Been in ministry for years. Well, when Essendon blew up in Victoria with corona and everything was shutting down, it was the, it was the hotspot of hotspots, actually. And on our corner, that we, we shut our service, we put all these new regulations in, and for 110 days, all of those senior citizens were locked in their rooms, not allowed to come out. That wasn't our call, that was government's call. And there's no speculation about what I think about that, it just had to be done. Our staff had to put full PPE gear, which is... You, you, you look like you're in a nuclear lab. Not only are you covered hands, feet, you know, face, then you've got face shields, you've got all these protocols, and for 110 days, our chaplain, Leanne, never complained once about the changes of her environment and all of her reports came through. You know, I'll say Mrs. Phillips because I don't actually know anyone down there. We've done this, we've done that, we've communicated with the family. She's very happy, he's very happy. We did 10 visits in that room, we did eight in that room, we did six in this room. Someone died, might be COVID, might not. 14-hour shifts, constantly, for 110 days. I've got to tell you, I think that's an overcomer. 
I think that's what it means to step into an operational environment where the controls have all been removed and the triumph of Jesus was lived out door to door, bed to bed, family to family, iPad to iPad, phone call to phone call for 110 days. How cool is that? I don't know about you, but that's the kind of person I want to aspire to be. Um, That's the kind of operational environment we are in. And I think God has called us to be um, overcomers. Would you agree? So here's the deal. Um, If we're going to actually be overcomers, if we're actually going to step into an environment where there's no control, if the triumph of Jesus is going to be real in day-to-day transactions in our lives and in our ministries and in our homes and in every part of our calling to be human, truly human, disciples of Jesus, there's actually a stand-up-and-take-aim principle in this, right? Because there's two options, really, when we get so overwhelmed with all the affairs of the media cycle and the conversation at the barbecue and... Are you allowed to do that yet? The conversation at the Zoom barbecue... um, and all the relevant anxieties that pile up for people. And it's just one of those years. Everywhere I go, surf carnivals, church services, bull sales. Went to a bull sale this year. 250000 for a bull is a little bit extreme in my mind. But four, four blokes thought that was a good price, so good on them. Um, there's, this, you know, there's this overcoming uh, take control of your own personal environment that needs to take place. I don't know how you regulate yourself. I don't know what your day-to-day looks like in your routines. My normal routine is wake up and say, God, I've got no control over this. You're God, I'm your servant. Where are we headed? That takes all the pressure off me, just saying. And that's the way I've learned to regulate at times where I feel that this is a little bit overwhelming. Today is a little bit overwhelming. And so you just got to stand up. There's this principle within the book of Revelation where the early Christians had to overcome things like trade guilds. Does anyone, we, we've got unions now, but then they had trade guilds. And if you were part of a trade guild, you could trade, you could work, you could transact bread and butter and milk and whatever thing in your hand for what was in their hand. But when you said Jesus is Lord, you had to, you, you were in real trouble in the trade guild because the trade guild had a ceremony where you went once a month or once every six months or a festive time to go and pay homage to Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord, Right? Business transaction. And in order to get your little dot or card or wax pot thing on your wrist or whatever they did, to transact, this is what really pressed in on the early church members, whatever profession they were in, was to say, no, Caesar is not Lord, but Jesus is, and therefore my my local commerce and my ability to make money was severely impeded. But the early Christians stood up and took aim, right? They not only based off that particular policy within the land they live, but they also provided distributed networks to to share what they had with Christians in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Laodicea, wherever Philemon lived, the whole bit. So instead of curling up in a ball and waiting for rapture, they actually stepped in and conquered and said, well, how do we reshape ourselves? What favourite word of the year, pivot, do we do here? See, everyone knows now what a pivot is. You thought it was just a basketball thing six months ago. Now it's what we all do. And they became overcomers. 
you know, a, a couple of years ago in our own personal lives, we, like you, faced, a, you know, not a nice tragedy in our family. And I was kind of curled up in the ball situation. And for a couple of days I thought, you know what, this is going to be pretty hard to climb out of, just to make it real. I'm not talking about speculative theological principles that you can apply in the never-never. And because I've said this so many times, I had to say to myself, well, come on, big fella, what does this actually mean now? And so I had to front myself in the mirror and take little tiny steps to say, I'm going to, I've actually written it on my whiteboard at work, on a similar whiteboard to that. Stand up, take aim. So whatever it is I'm facing, I'm not going to curl up into a ball and disappear and wait to be catapulted out. I'm actually going to confront it in grace, in love, whatever the situation requires. I'm going to walk into that room. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm walking in. And God knows, like those lepers, what will happen after. And so that's what we started to do as a family. It's what I started to do as an individual. And it's amazing when one thing lights up in front of you, how 10 others come and join it. Isn't that funny? Famines, earthquakes, you know, someone dies, someone leaves, someone gets sick. And you've still got to get up, face all that transactional day that's the workplace and confront the things in a situation where you know God has said, to him or her, to her or him, to them, that overcome. There's a, there's a response to what God is calling us to. It's not just him doing it all and lifting you out. It's you agreeing to partner with God and walk into those situations for the benefit of redemption or kingdom or a transaction that means love. So we don't control our operational environment. We do control our inner resources and we do need to stand up and take aim. It's a very Christian thing to do so. A friend of mine named Bruce, who's also not well at the moment, imagine, what am I doing? It's Christmas. They've got to get well, Lord. Many years ago, um, he, he had this idea because as a child, interesting, mate, great communion today. I really, you got me. You got me. I hate it when people get me. Let me think about that for a week. Um, he had an experience where his father was put at risk through there not being infrastructure in their remote community um, to get medical assistance, right? So all of his adolescence, or most of his adulthood, he reflected on this. And a couple of years ago, um, as our regional engagement partner in the Gold Coast area, he came up with this plan to engage people who would otherwise be left in sheer crisis, a bit like you're talking about here with engaging your community. This is what Bruce did. He hit us all up for money. <laughs> Step number one, get the resources. Here's the vision. We're going to set up a thing called the mooring. And the mooring is a, a, a respite centre for people in crisis who have come out of the bush or even overseas now. Its scope has so broadened. So we took a big risk, a heap of us, and we threw some money in, organisational money, personal money on this vision, right? And we started to provide this service at the Gold Coast City Hospital. So as it actually works, the Gold Coast City Hospital, through its social workers, refer people to the mooring. So I fall off my quad bike in Augustella. The helicopter turns up and picks me up and takes me all the way to Griffith Hospital on the Gold Coast because no one from here to there can help me. They drop me on the roof, they take me into emergency, they plug a whole bunch of stuff into me and a day or 18, uh, uh, 18 hours later my family arrive and my friends arrive and they've got nothing. 
They're out of their minds with worry. They've turned up in two cars. They haven't got any cash in their pockets. They've got, left their phone at home. They've got no idea what accommodation looks like on the Gold Coast. They haven't been there for 10 years because it's been a drought. Social worker goes, Bruce, we've got eight people. What can you do? And Bruce and his team of 60 volunteers turn up with care packs, pastoral care, bus tickets, food, and for whatever times required, those people stay with no cost to them. The, the Griffith Hospital took two years to get their heads around the fact that this was free to them, the hospital board, free to the person. All because one bloke had a vision to stand up and take aim, right? So get this, I'll finish with this story. I hope this one inspires you. A, a, a couple, a Japanese couple came to the Gold Coast to get married a couple of years ago. And unfortunately for the gentleman, his wife passed away, just had a stroke and died on the Goldie. Couldn't speak English. All the regular, you know, disruption of what that would look like here and home. Bruce's team kicked in. They looked after the gentleman. He stayed for about four weeks in the morning. Oh, the other thing was that two private donors have now given us two townhouses free of charge to run the mooring forever and a day. Forgot that bit. It's like Christmas, isn't it? About 18 months later, Bruce gets a phone call from regional Japan. I don't know where. I can't point on Google Maps and say there they are. And it's the father of the bride with a translator thanking Bruce at three o'clock in the morning, our time, for all the wonderful care that was given to his new son-in-law and his deceased daughter. That's what overcoming looks like. That's what Jesus Christ has called us to. We have absolutely zero control of what's going to happen over the next decade of our country's life. We'll have opinions, we'll lean in and do, do stuff, but I actually am convicted from the early church that to look for a date when it's all going to be, you know, if there is a rapture, how's God going to get me out? Like I'm 120 kilos. It'll be a rapture plus a forklift. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, you know, everyone else is going, and I'm going, mm. <laughs> come on oh that's so funny I lost my train of thought um, it's time for the church to actually lean in peeps it's actually time to just get inspired and do the little stuff right and in your daily life look yourself in the mirror stand up take aim and be not try and become be an overcomer and it's the little stuff don't go looking for the headlines. Step into that next room, that next relationship, that next difficult environment. Step in. It gets funner after a while, I'm telling you. You don't know what's going to transpire in the conflict, the opportunity for reconciliation, the big move. But you've got to have the ticker to know that being an overcomer is what God's looking for. So there you go. If you want to have a talk about Revelation, I'm hanging around, not running anywhere. I just want you to know, from me to you, thank you for your time this morning. And be assured that God's gone nowhere in any of this. It's right in the middle. So bless you. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you were encouraged by the message and would like to hear more sermons like this, make sure you hit subscribe. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. To experience other messages, videos, and live services, head to aranahills.church and navigate to the resources tab. Thanks for listening.